I've uh, been at this business long enough to begin to realize what passages of the Bible challenge me more than others. So uh, this is a demonstration of how it went for me this week. What is the gospel reading? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. What was that passage from Deuteronomy again? (laughs) We don't have the luxury in our tradition, um, uh, we who are preachers, uh, to pick and choose the the lessons we want to hear on uh, Sundays, uh, like a lot of sort of other Protestant, non-denominational churches, uh, which gives you the great privilege to hear a lot more of the Scripture than you might ordinarily hear if it was up to me, uh, to, to read it to you and to try to preach on it. Uh, I don't have a lot of sermons, I noticed, when I pulled out the file for this particular Sunday on this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. I've preached on the Sermon on the Mount a number of times, and I've done some whole classes on it, but I haven't preached a lot on those words that you just heard. So it seems to me that we Episcopalians may take one of two approaches to the Sermon on the Mount. We maybe uh, develop a kind of a hallmark card sentimentality around the parts of it that we really like, and those parts are usually those at the very beginning, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, I like that. And we simply ignore the parts that we are challenged by, which is most of all the rest. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. This is the part that we're in today. Uh, The Kentucky writer and poet Wendell Berry uh, shares that as a person of faith, in his reading of the gospel, it so often leaves him at once urgently interested and frequently uneasy. So we're frequently uneasy when we come across texts like this. The Sermon on the Mount. I want to set the scene for you. Some of us in the room are going to be there on the site in less than three weeks. Um, But Jesus um, is early in his Galilean ministry in the gospel, according to Matthew. Uh, He's um, already, however, gathered large crowds who are very interested and intrigued by this this wonder-working itinerant preacher. And a few of them have actually signed on to be his followers, and this this episode, it takes up three chapters in Matthew's gospel. Jesus is on one of the high hills on the western bank of the Sea of Galilee. I think we often imagine that Jesus is up on the top of the mountain and everybody is spilling down the sides, and it's almost certainly the opposite, that it was more of an amphitheater effect where Jesus is down low and his audience is seated above him so that they could hear him. And um, commentators down through the ages, and this may have been Uh, and probably was certainly in the mind of Matthew when he wrote this, recorded uh, this sermon, that Jesus is like the new Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain and receives the law and then preaches to the people what covenant relationship with God looks, looks like in practical sense. And now Jesus is sort of the new Moses recapitulating that story. And we think, well, thank God. Jesus is not like old crusty Moses with all of his laws. Jesus does it, and now we've got sweet Jesus full of grace. And actually, it seems to be exactly the opposite, if you're listening carefully. You have heard it said, but I say to you, and what we get from Jesus is actually an intensification of the sort of ethical and moral life that characterizes the Old Testament law. Again, listen, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that if you even look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That's tough. So strategies to deal with passages that frequently make us uneasy. Let's ignore it and preach on Deuteronomy. Or number two, also a common strategy, at least for me. Well, you need to understand Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here. And that is true. Um, He doesn't mean literally to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand. Of course not. He doesn't mean literally you're going to be thrown into hell. I guess. (laughs) So we want to make an important point. The sermon is not actually a list of new requirements. It's not a list of requirements for each and every one of you to have to accomplish if you want to be a Christian. What it is is this. This is a vision of Jesus. This is who Jesus is. And if you want a part of him, this is the trajectory of your life. Not just your behaviors, but your loves. You will become more and more to see the world as he does and to love as he loves. So that even the things on your heart that are hidden are purified. So again, if you find Jesus compelling, if you find him worthy to follow... What I would like for us to hear in the Sermon on the Mount is that as we are drawn up the mountain with him, as it were, the Holy Spirit will lead us, perhaps step by step, to become more like him. So nowhere does Jesus say that I can find, follow me and all your temptations will simply slide off of you, fall away. What he says here is, this is the life of perfect righteousness. What I am describing in all these verses is what it looks like to live perfectly in relationship to God the Father. I'm the only one who can do that, but here's the vision. Here's what it's really going to look like. Come unto me. And let's begin that journey. So what I want to do is to focus on two, two segments of the sermon that you heard just a moment ago. Uh, anger and lust. Those are two of the seven deadly sins, by the way. So the people that Jesus was looking at as he's preaching, um, he knew them. He knew they had their quarrels with each other, their squabbles, their fights. He also knew that they were sexual beings, that they cast furtive glances at other good-looking people than the ones they were married to, and sometimes even committed adultery. He knew these things. Anger, lust, these are bodily passions, right? These are things we feel in our very members, in our emotions, on our skin, and they often play out in actions that we will come to regret, sometimes very subtly. Sometimes they're hidden. Sometimes they kind of manifest as passive aggressiveness. Sometimes they unexpectedly erupt like volcanoes. And we are simply not free yet of these passions. We cannot do it on our own. These desires of the heart that run in the wrong direction. Jesus knows this. He knows that we are bodily creatures because he himself is God in a body. 
I have um, shared in some other contexts these first two months, month and a half of the year, that uh, 2020 for me is the year of returning to one of my favorite saints of the church, St. Augustine. We just had a conference Thursday night and Friday, uh, a lot of which centered around the life of St. Augustine, um, this late 4th century, 5th century bishop and theologian of the church. And I'm reading about three different books of his or about him right now, and um, I'm very grateful that I'm doing so. And there are so many things that I love about St. Augustine. Um, not least is his confessional nature, which was very, very unusual, indeed almost unprecedented for that time in history, for somebody of his stature to just write so transparently about his struggles. And, and uh, uh, he says that as a, as a young adult, where, by the way, he was... Uh, enslaved to his lusts. This is a man who was, um, had a very hard time um, um, not chasing after that. And he had his experiences. But he says, I was in love with love. I was in love with love. And then in another place, he says, he ran after sex like a runaway slave. And it was only gradually as he entered into his late 20s, and began to actually succeed in all the things that he was chasing after, including tremendous professional success that he realized he loved more than ever. And the things that he thought he wanted to satisfy that love didn't do it. And he speaks of the restless heart. He was utterly restless. And what he came to realize, and this was his great insight, is that the way he would express it is, what is wrong with me? Is that his love was really intended for something higher. And the only thing that could satisfy that love was the source of that love, was God. And as he began to trust that and began to make some steps in that direction, became baptized, became a priest, a bishop, a theologian, he was able to live the kind of life that is described in the Sermon on the Mount. But here's my favorite thing about St. Augustine. He's writing about this in his old age. And you know what he says? I still like to look at women. (laughs) What the heck is wrong with me? So he was never quite there. But no one has written more eloquently about this journey into righteousness in my book, my my view outside of the, the Bible, than Augustine. He was able to surrender those lusts, those passions. And he could also get angry. He was a hothead too. And live a chaste life. A chaste life. Not a married life. He gave it all up in the service of the Lord. So he would have us ask the question that he asked himself so much. What do we want when we're angry? What do we want when we lust? We want God. God and God alone can satisfy all those wants. And if we can then therefore interpret our experience of anger and lust that way when we're in it that's the path out of it this is an insight that changed his life and changed really the theology of the church uh, forever so Christians as we know are angry at each other and lusting after each other all the time great scandals it's terrible branding for the church in our world today and rightly so These are things that also have the power to corrupt and endanger our souls. So what would it look like as we think about 
you know, our struggles with anger, our struggles with lust, to, to keep that insight in mind. Lord knows I, I know what it is to feel anger. And it is hard in the midst of it to ask the kinds of questions I think Jesus would have us ask. It's like, why am I angry about this? What is it in this situation or in this other person that's making me feel like I do? And would it be possible that if my selfish ideas of resolution would actually satisfy whatever it is that's deeper down than that? Sometimes I'm angry because the person that uh, I'm having some confrontation with is right. And I know it. And yet I fight the urge to defend myself, to justify myself. Sometimes and this is also a distorted experience of anger, is I know I'm right. (laughs) And I have to love the other person more than I love being right. I have to love the other person more than I love being right. And I hope that they will do the same for me. Um, That is a way of ascending up the mountain with Jesus to hear these words of the Sermon on the Mount. Lust, sexual desire... It is powerful, and it is natural, and itself has a whole complex of desires uh, born of biology and history that are all bound up together. Jesus says, tear out your right eye if you struggle with this. And I do think this is figurative language. In other words, look at something else and trust that if you do that, God will be there for you. And maybe it takes a lot of practice to learn to do that. So before you're tempted to to look at pornography, if you're a a young man, tear the eye out and look at something else. If you're you're tempted to be alone with somebody that you're attracted to who's not your spouse, don't do it. Just look, look at another possibility. Look at some other options that are available to you and pursue that, Jesus would say. Jesus does not leave us alone to work out our temptations by ourselves because by ourselves we cannot do it. And you know what happens to people who experience the incapacity to work out their temptations? They hide. They hide from others and they hide from themselves. And Jesus doesn't want us to do that because we don't have to do that because he loves us. And all Jesus wants for us is the best for us. So look at him. Look at his life. Look at his life as it's described in the Sermon on the Mount. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our hearts didn't stray? I long for the day when I am fully present with Jesus, and that is true. I'm not there yet, but thanks be to God, I'm not what I used to be. Augustine would say the same thing. This is called the road to sanctification. The path to a greater joy than we too seldom imagine or think is possible for us. The joy into holiness before we get to heaven. This this path for which we were made to step by step by step come into a more powerful experience of our true identity, his life, his love, the highest love that reorders all others.